There are so many supplements out there. How do you choose? If there was just one supplement that Trey and I would recommend, it's definitely Ningxia Red. We have consistently drank Ningxia every day since May of 2015. It's a whole body health and wellness supplement that's a powerhouse full of antioxidants and nutrition. Ningxia Red is made with pureed wolfberries, also known as goji berries, along with blueberry, plum, cherry, aronia, and pomegranate juices. These are very high in antioxidants that boost immunity and protect your body against oxidative stress. It also has food-grade essential oils like orange and lemon, yuzu, and tangerine. These provide an incredible dose of D-limonene. Trust me, Google that. This is just a two-ounce shot of liquid gold, and it supports your body for better energy and healthy cellular function. Why is that? Well, that's because you're getting antioxidants equivalent to eating like eight pounds of carrots and 16 whole oranges. Trust me, your liver and your eyes will thank you. If you'd like more information, visit my website, www.amycastles.com. It's time for a healthy dose of According to the Castles, the show where we talk about marriage, family, faith, health, nutrition, fitness, and so much more. And now, please welcome your hosts, Amy and Trey Castles. Hey. Hello, hello. So I'm excited for today. I'm clueless on today. Okay. We have a special guest today because we got you your test. I remember getting blood, yes. We got you a pulse test, and we did it for myself as well. But some of those numbers were not as up to par as we would like them to be. I'm a little in denial. I feel like I'm a healthy person, and I do a lot of things to stay healthy. So I was a little shocked to hear or see what these are, but I don't quite understand it yet. Yeah. There's a lot of things that, I mean, I understand on looking at the test results, but there's a lot of things that I don't quite understand. So you and I live a very healthy lifestyle, and... When we were looking over this and we saw some of those numbers that came up that showed some things that weren't just from your little weekend in Miami. wasn't a little weekend. Well, I thought it was pretty funny because you were like, <laughs> I eat healthy. I just, I mean, that number, those numbers were skewed because- Well, it was, it was we had the five days in Florida for the ADT convention. Then we came back with the Brotherhood Retreat for Bulldogs. So there were two distinct weeks in there of like seven or eight days where I kind of went off the reservation. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not sure that some of these test results show like something from a one-time deal and acute. This is like more chronic stuff. So then I go and I ask Trey, I'm like, okay, well, I know what you eat at home because I see it and I buy the groceries. I know what we have for dinner. I know pretty much what you make for breakfast. You make a smoothie in the mornings, a protein smoothie. You take a handful of supplements. But then I ask Trey, so what are you getting for lunch? Because you don't exactly pack your lunch. What do you get for lunch every day? Well, there's this amazing app that Jimmy John's has, and it comes right to the office, and they're like freaky fast. So I do a number 14 on the long, foot-long French white bread. White bread. Oh, so good. And chips. And well, you got to have the salt and vinegar chips. I do get an unsweet tea. So you get fried potatoes, which that's what chips are, and then with salt, and then you get a, a foot-long white bread sandwich. I'm like watering right now thinking about it. So I'm like, okay, you're doing this on a couple of days a week. Well, what about the other days a week? Where do you go? Another go-to is definitely Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Number one, 
Um, I'm thinking, oh, you know, my husband knows better. He's eating a grilled chicken sandwich. No, number number, number one with a medium fry and then a spicy chicken sandwich by itself. Always got to have both of them. And then an unsweet tea. So, you know, I'm thinking with the tea, I'm staying away from it. It used to be a soda. So I got rid of the soda and went to tea. I'm like, dude, I'm doing good. So you're getting two fried chicken sandwiches. That's four pieces of bread with two pieces of fried proteins that are breaded, highly carbohydrate breading. And then you get a side of fruit, right? I get fries. Oh, you get the fries. Are you the small though, probably, right? I get the medium fries. Oh, the medium fries. Those big old waffle fries that just melt in your mouth. So good. Okay. Okay. Oh, you know what? All right. Here's Randy. So I'm going to go ahead and answer that. We need to talk to Randy about all this. Hey, Randy, how are you? I am doing great. I appreciate you allowing me to join you today. Thank you. So we have Randy Worley. Is that how you say your last name? Yes, that's right. And you are the regional sales director for Pulse Health Diagnostics or Pulse Cardiac Test and Predictive Health Diagnostics. Is that correct? That is correct. I say that properly? <laughs> A little Good bit. Job, so Trey and I wanted to have you on today's podcast because we recently got a pulse test done for Trey, and we were a little surprised by the results. We live a healthy lifestyle. I like to say that we're the 20%. We're the top 20 percenters. Trey's got a 34-inch waist, and he, in the years past, has had a hard time putting on weight. So for the most part, he's been able to eat what he wanted when he was outside the home, and then when we're in the home, we eat really healthy. And we saw some of his test results. And we were a little taken back. And I thought that this test was so important because, and you can explain more, but I thought it was so important because it gives people in our age group, we're, we're 40, my husband's 45, to start taking a look at these things now before they become a huge issue. We're having people in our age group that are dying of heart disease and they're in their mid-40s. And we just wanted to ask you a few questions. So in your best explanation, tell us what the pulse test is and why it's so important. So the pulse cardiac test is, was first, it was developed by Dr. Douglas Harrington, who is, he spent many years in the field, especially in cardiology. And his basis for developing the pulse cardiac test was he, as a cardiologist, he said he, he got tired of being on the wrong side of the table meaning he was working on people, you know, they were doing procedures, opening chest up, and he was seeing cardiovascular disease and cardiac age outrate the patient's chronological age. It was just so dramatic. And his mind started to think, what can we do to help develop something that can give us a score, a measure that tells us much earlier in the process that we can use this as a preventive tool Instead of a lot of the tools that we write that we have in diagnostics right now, they're invasive tools that tell us when a patient has gotten to a point where your hope is to hopefully stabilize them and keep them from having another event. So his thoughts were a test that could be developed that was much earlier in the patient's life. With that, when they developed the pulse cardiac test, their goal was to come up with something that could be used in 30 to 40-year-olds which in cardiovascular testing, that's really beyond lipids. That's really kind of unheard of. There's some individual biomarkers out there, some inflammation markers, but something that is not only diagnostic, but preventive. 
And they come up through about 15 years of research. They developed the pulse cardiac test, which is it's an algorithm test that looks at nine protein biomarkers and four global risk factors, and they're placed into this algorithm. And what makes the algorithm so special and specific for providers, the pulse score is an absolute risk score of the patient having an event in the next five years. And that event, what we're trying to predict is patients that have events when they have cardiac or unstable cardiac lesions that rupture, leading to clots. 80% of heart attacks that occur are from cardiac lesion rupture. They're not from stenosis or what we would call like narrowing of the artery. But almost all of our diagnostics, which most of them are invasive, are meant to catch when patients have narrowing of the artery, meaning like a stress test or if we have to go in and do a cath. Those types of tests, nuclear perfusion tests, all of those things are meant to look at restriction or a blood flow or the occlusion of the vessel, not trying to catch the soft vulnerable region rupture. Another piece of that is so many of these patients that suffer unstable lesion rupture, their first symptom is the heart attack. They were a symptomatic patient that had a lesion that was 20, 30, 40, 50% occluded, meaning their blood flow was still very good. So they were asymptomatic, but it ruptures leading to a heart attack. And just in a little bit of a layman's terms, the unstable cardiac lesions, this is kind of like a pimple inside the blood vessels, right? Absolutely. And that's a great way to describe it. So as free radicals, lipids, other particles move through the vascular system, through the artery walls, certain particles nick or penetrate the artery wall. And from there, the lesion begins to form. And it's actually in the skin or the endothelial of, you know, the lining of that artery wall. And it begins to build. And just like a fresh blister, when you first get burned, you get that blister. It's very soft. And it can be popped easy, just like a cardiac lesion. If it has that soft cap on it, it can rupture leading to a clot. The other way that I like to describe it, and you think about the body, is that we're looking at the body's immune response to this endothelial injury that is occurring. Another great example is think about when you get a splinter in your finger. If you don't get that splinter out quickly and treat it, over time where that splinter is, the body will close up that injury and it will develop, begin to have an infection or an immune response to the point that it will become red, it will become inflamed. And at some point in time, it could rupture because of the material that's inside of the body is trying to attack where that splinter is, that foreign object. It wants to get it out. So that's it's a very similar kind of process. It's a body's immune response to that splinter. It's the same way the body's immune response to lipids and free radicals that penetrate that at the individual or the lining of the artery. So essentially, if somebody has a significant amount of endothelial damage, their immune system could be fighting this constantly, which could affect their immune system in other areas as well, right? So we absolutely see that. And and as a good example is when our body's immune system is in kind of overdrive from other disease states. So in cardiovascular disease, we think about LDL cholesterol, bad cholesterol. It's been kind of driven in our heads from, you know, all the Lipitor commercials and the Crestor commercials. But what we don't, what's not shared is lipids are very important, but there are 
a multitude of other disease factors that lead to endothelial injury and this body's immune response. And a lot of it has to do with when the body is in an active immune, has its immune or raised. And I will give you an example. Anybody that has an autoimmune disease, psoriasis, RA, psoriatic arthritis, Crohn's, any of those patients, their immune system is just flaring, it's firing, and they are at much greater risk of cardiovascular disease and having, we see it all the time with patients that have high pulse scores and then we actually can, we can look at it and compare to the control of their autoimmune disease, where, what stage it is. Also certain infections, Lyme's disease, Bartonella's, HIV, most recently something that is absolutely in all of our minds is COVID. We have seen that patients that are post-COVID, especially in long haulers, because their body has such an intense immune response going on. There's so much inflammation that we have seen patients' pulse scores that we have studied before, that they were in the lower moderate risk category, and their score doubles, triples, quadruples three to four months after. And typically what, so what that's telling us about in some COVID patients, it is just absolutely kind of setting their immune system kind of on fire. And it, we see some of the results inside of the endothelial. We see that it exacerbates the injury. Now, typically what we see is patients begin to heal, even in long haulers, their bodies will start to control and handle the situation. But in those post-COVID patients, that risk is real for unstable cardiac lesion rupture, that it is not something that it, it's not a fake number created by COVID. It's a real number that was exacerbated by COVID. Wow. And a lot of people are having a mast cell activation syndrome happening from COVID. So they're seeing their bodies just completely inflamed. And it's not, if you have a test like this to show what's going on with your cardiovascular system and you really start to dig in, you can really start to make the lifestyle changes that are needed to help reverse this because you're having a solid concrete number because otherwise you're just kind of having a domino effect with all of this. I absolutely agree. I mean, lifestyle changes and thinking about the things that we can do with, you know, foods and supplements that are anti-inflammatory. The other piece, the one thing to remember when we're talking about COVID and why it's so specific that we think about cardiovascular disease. Years ago with the first SARS, you know, outbreak and kind of epidemic that we had, it was really a lung-based disease, almost like a pneumonia. And we do see some of that with SARS-CoV-2, but where SARS-CoV-2 is so different than the original SARS that we experienced about 18 years ago, is that the spike protein that we've all kind of learned, you know, that red protein spiky thing that we see, it has the ability to go into the ACE2 receptor and it binds so well. So it actually can, it goes there and then it, the body can then replicate. And why that ACE2 receptor is so important, there are three, three most prominent places for ACE2 receptors to reside in the body are in the heart, inside of the pulmonary system of the lungs, and the most prominent place is inside of the endothelial wall of the vascular system. So that's why we see such a lot, these hemodynamic issues with clotting and other issues, heart attacks. That's why it is so detrimental with the inflammation that it occurs because it acts, that spike protein is going to that ACE2 receptor. And for lack of better words, it sets up shop in the place that we don't need it to, inside of that endothelial wall, which leads to, leads to so many of the clotting that we're seeing in certain patients. 
that's why it's so important for people to start now understanding the health of their body so that when the time comes or if the time comes for them to come in contact with this virus or really any virus too, for that matter, that their body is in the healthiest state possible, but especially something that was designed to attack the heart and the lungs where we are all so weak as a population. Yes, I agree 100% with you on that. Absolutely. So with Trey's test, he was kind of, what did you say? I went out of town and I was on vacation and- I did things that I normally wouldn't do in <laughs> consistency. So I was like, this test is, is a little skewed because, you know, I just got back from vacation and, and had some fun. So this is wrong. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> That's kind of how it felt. Yeah. And we were like, uh, this test, it can't, it doesn't lie. It's not showing something that you just did for a weekend. It's showing longer numbers. So how is that? So I will start, we own the pulse cardiac test, but one of the other tests that we use in conjunction is an expanded lipid panel. Some people refer them to advanced lipid panels. It's just more information about the body's, the cholesterol and some other markers related to cholesterol. It gives us a more truer picture as to what's going on in the patient. So I would begin by looking, when I look at his cholesterol numbers, when I see his LDL direct, that means we're directly measuring, we're not estimating it is 198, but then I take a look at its small dense LDL and why that is important. Small dense LDL is the most atherogenic particle of the of the cholesterols going through the body. So it's it is the one that can penetrate into the endothelial wall causing that inflammation response. But what's important about that is small dense LDL when I look at it and his is 60 and it's in the higher range, I say this, it does not lie. It is created by one of four things or a combination. Sugar, carbs, fried foods, deep fried things like, you know, Chick-fil-A sandwiches, chicken sandwiches. <laughs> I can go into multiple things, but stuff that is fried typically in vegetable oils, corn oil, those things that are supposedly listed as heart friendly. But when you're deep frying them, they're not that great. So, and also alcohol or overuse of alcohol. So with his being high risk, the one thing I can say is, a week of bad behavior on vacation, it might impact this number a little bit, but it's not going to impact it a lot. When you mention those other four things, I kind of understand where the number might be coming from. Okay. As well, I mean, I would say I hear about, you know, we have some control over breakfast and we have some control over dinner, but you may be like me, I'm a cheater. And I say that I'm a cheater because I cheat at lunch sometimes when I'm away from the house. So. Oh, yeah. No, she keeps me <laughs> grounded when, when I'm at home. But that's why, you know, during COVID, we were good because there was no Chick-fil-A's. There wasn't any of that. We were eating good at home, but things cranked back up. I was like, all right, I like my Jimmy John's and my Chick-fil-A's and a little bit of wine here and there. And so I guess it's getting to me. So the small dense LDLs, are those tested whenever you get a normal lipid profile from your doctor? Absolutely not. So when you do a normal, I call it a basic lipid panel, you're getting total cholesterol, an estimated LDL, and a triglyceride, and your HDL, which is your good cholesterol. What's so bad about that is when you get a basic lipid panel, that is, it is simply a math formula that guesses or estimates, I like guesses, what your LDL is. And remember, most doctors are treating LDL. 
as their primary focal point, and they're using a test that guesses what your LDL is. And the math formula was developed in 1972. I firmly believe that we are a different society, a different population, and we look a lot different than people did in 1972. And that math formula has not been changed. So I, I always beg people, I said, if you're not going to use my test, at least order a direct LDL when you're assessing LDL for your patients. I mean, it's, it's about the same test. It takes the same amount of blood. Just ask for a direct only measure the LDL. So this test seems very revolutionary in terms of where we're at now in our technology from where we came from. You know, for somebody like me that didn't know anything about it and, you know, just kind of following the direction of my wife and saying, go, go take this test. I wasn't too concerned because I was a healthy person. But I've got a lot of friends that, you know, and we look at their health and outwardly they don't look healthy and inwardly they're not. But there's also a lot of friends that outwardly look healthy and apparently inwardly they're not. How often is this test recommended to go kind of get your baselines? And then once now I have my baselines, how often do I go back and do it? So we recommend the test as a baseline, anyone over the age of 40, anyone over the age of 30 with one risk factor, family history, smoker, metabolic syndrome, you can think any of those cardiovascular risk factors that fit in, anyone over 30 with a risk factor or anyone under that age, if the clinical situation presents that they need to have that test. Like we could do it on a, we could do it on a teenager if that teenager had a diagnosis of a familial hypercholesteremia, it's a genetic disorder where they have just excessive amounts of LDL cholesterol and other lipids, and they are extremely high risk of having a heart attack. So there are reasons we would do it younger, but for the general population we're talking about, anyone over the age of 40 or anyone over the age of 30 with one risk factor. So what would you say like pre not pre-existing, but what's the word when your family history has... So my mom's been riding me for probably nine months now, eight months. And she's like, you got to go get all this stuff tested because on my dad's side of the family, we've had multiple heart attacks in both my uncles and in my grandfather, pacemakers. And then on my mom's side, we're, we're diabetic. So there's just a, there's a lot of markers in there from the, the family side of things. And I always looked at that as that was their choices during that era. And if I'm making better choices, it's not going to affect me, but I guess hereditary has an aspect in this, right? Absolutely. And part of it is we want to take into consideration that this test considers your family history as a strong indicator because we don't know exactly because we don't know everything about family history piece of it. But we do know that in people that have had close relatives, meaning their brother, sister, mom and dad, aunts, you know, like. Not usually not into the great aunts, but you know, aunts and uncles, those type of things. When we see that, it does play a significant picture. And especially when we're looking at patients that are 30 and 40 years old, lots of times they're indicating a family history. It's a family history of early events in those people. So it, it showed some kind of either genetic, I mean, something that was, you know, they're predominant to having an issue. So that's why it's so important. And I will. I wanted to go back and answer another part of your question. You said, how often should you have the test? I kind of said, when you would baseline. What we tell when people, after they've had the test, if they are in the green and they expect in the normal range, we would recommend using this test once every year or two when you had a follow-up with your provider and you were having, maybe like your yearly, that would be a good time. If you fall into the borderline range, we recommend that that test be repeated about once every two years or every six months. And then during the elevated or high risk range, 
we recommend that it, they get tested about once a quarter. So about once every three months, because this test is not only a great baseline tool, it is a great tool to look and monitor and see the disease process. Do we have something? Is the disease kind of still going up? Have we stabilized it? And also, do we have, are we starting to see it come down? It says with different patients, we have different expectations. I will use an example. If we have somebody that has RA, that's very, very, very hard, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, RA, very, very hard to control in that particular patient. And we can, we'll sometimes see their RA as it's getting worse, as it's escalating. We will see the pulse score growing. And then at some point in time, if we can get that patient kind of in a situation where there is controlled, we will see their pulse score often level out also. But in certain patients with certain our goal is to stabilize their disease and not let it get any worse. And then off with, with, you know, with other patients, our goal is to not only stabilize them, but then to see disease regression and see the pulse score start to get better. Well, I completely see how everything correlates because if someone is to have a poor score on that low density, the small low density lipoproteins, and that was to show that they had significant amounts of sugars and all the things that you were talking about, the fried foods and the alcohol and of course, they're going to have other issues. So this is just the test, but they're also going to have other issues. Some people, it shows up with the inflammation, arthritis in their joints. For me, it comes out as migraines. If I were to eat terribly, then I get migraines. So everybody kind of has their own unique way that their body responds. And this test, while it can show your risk factor for heart disease and give you the prevention or the preventative diagnostics of whether you're going to have a heart attack in the next five years or not, it also can show you, hey, these numbers are up here. That may be why you have other issues going on. And Trey's test, well, I like that on every test, it gives you a pulse cardiac score or gives you the expected score. And Trey's was 4.27. It's right at the high end of the middle range. So you've got the green, you've got yellow, and then you've got the red range. So his was a little bit on the higher end of the yellow. We can see that number. Still not a hard stop. It's more of a slowdown. Well, yours was 4.27. <laughs> Mine was 0.85 just to, I mean, not We're to be not competitive, not know. to be competitive or anything, <laughs> but I mean, you couldn't get more picture perfect, but whatever, you know, we're just going <laughs> to, <Yeah. laughs> but we can watch that number go down. So if somebody says, you know, that test seems very complicated. Hey, don't worry about that part. Go get the test done. And then you just can pay attention to your overall number. Look at the color range where you're at and then get your test done and improve these areas. Work with your doctor and do your own research. People have got to empower themselves to find the right diet that works for them. Everybody has bioindividuality and they respond differently to different ways of eating. And I know that like we had talked about before, the Mediterranean diet is such a wonderful overall diet and a great place for someone to start if they don't know their own body and they wanted to have something to start with. Yes, we actually use the Mediterranean diet or sometimes we even say Mediterranean style of eating because with us, diet, it's a four-letter word because like so word. many people have been on have been on diets and it, they've failed or it's it's worked really good and then they come back and you know they have issues and stuff so trying to eat with that mediterranean style we like it really like it because it is a very good the foods inside of a mediterranean diet are very they're very good they're anti-inflammatory they have a lot of good proteins 
good fat and complex carbohydrates that are just better for the body to use. And it's also a diet or a lifestyle that is very easy to like Google, use the internet, and very easy to shop for. Some diets can be very hard to shop for. So we like that. But speaking to your point just about lifestyle change, we have have done a lot of studying results over time. I mean, more than 100,000 of these tests have been ran. And we have a lot of information that shows significant improvement in pulse scores over time with just lifestyle modification, meaning a change in diet and a change in exercise. Hopefully, getting someone to exercise. But again, we you know we kind of push on the Mediterranean style of eating. And the other thing that we spend a lot of time on is we want people, if they if at all possible, we want them involved in resistance training. Some, if it's even if it's light kettlebells, light dumbbells, resistance bands, doing body work exercise, and we talk about when we're working with patients and we're in person with them, we talk about we want you engaging your muscles between your knees and your shoulders using the big core muscle. Again, even if it's just body weight, like air squats or push ups or doing some sit up, just plank work, just something that's getting that going. And the reason behind that is we've seen it with the pulse score versus just doing cardio. And Dr. Harrington attributes a lot of this to the fact is if I do 30 minutes of resistance training with just light kettlebells, the metabolic burn is somewhere between 22 and 38 hours. If I do 30 minutes on elliptical or a stationary bicycle, the metabolic burn is less than four hours. So we really want people involved. And I know we do understand some people due to, you know, medical conditions or whatever, they may not be able to do resistance training, but we're not asking you to go to a gym. We're asking you to start with some really basics like resistance bands and very light kettlebells. I've worked with some people. I said, you know, pick your favorite TV show out. And during that TV show, you're right there in front of them. That's when you can do some kettlebell swings or you could do some air squats. Just doing stuff while you're watching that show. Turn it into something you're still not missing that favorite show that you're involving. You know, getting that 30 minutes of resistance training in three to four times a week. That's good. It's simple. Yeah. I love that because I do not like to go run. I would rather resistance train any day. I think the old school way. Yeah. We do find people that do like, you know, hit training, interval training, those types of things involving, you know, a cardiovascular component to a weightlifting component or resistance training component, we just see a lot of success in the lifestyle modification aspect of changing the pulse score and improving patient's outcome. Well, that makes completely sense because the metabolic fat burn that you would get from a HIIT training, and if somebody doesn't know, that's just basically taking 20 seconds on to do an exercise with 10 seconds rest. And you can choose the exercise that you would like to do, and then you would repeat that or mix in four different exercises and do 20 seconds on 10 seconds rest and do about eight rounds of it. And if you do that, you will, it just does amazing things for fat burning overall. Well, let me ask you this one question, Randy, because we're running out of time. So I'm obviously going to take this seriously. I have a great support team here with me and I'm going to, you know, start working on refining my diet. My exercise is good, but once I kind of get a good baseline of where I'm moving forward with this, when should I go back and get a checkup? I mean, after six months from the time of the test, or I would say six months based on what you're telling me, you're going to make these changes, you're going to make, you know, some dietary changes. I would go kind of go six months after you've implemented those changes 
and you feel like you're going to get because you you do fall in the yellow borderline range. So I would suggest to see at six months to see because again, the higher the score, sometimes there are times we can see it start to move farther. I mean, as the scores start to normalize, then over time the spit gets a little bit more time to move it. it you get smaller increments of movement. But the good thing with you, your scores in the borderline. I mean, it's 4.27, so that means that 95 points something percent of people just like you would not have a heart attack. So it is absolutely a check engine light that's on your car. We know today we have talked about it. We have gotten underneath the hood a little bit to figure out kind of what's going on. Now we can implement what the mechanic says and see if those changes work. Now, how can people find out if their doctor offers this test? Well, the one thing that I would tell you is they can absolutely just ask their provider about the test. But I will, it, this test is fairly new. It's actually, it, it grew out of California. We have about 40 reps throughout the country. And we have certain areas, like the Houston area is, is penetrated a lot better. But we have certain areas that aren't, have not been penetrated as well. But they can always go to info at phdiagnostics.com. And they can get information. And from there, they can actually request information on how to get test kits and how to get the test performed on themselves. And they can also reach out to our client services. And our client services can direct them to a provider if there's one near them. Or we can actually send them a test kit. And then they can ask their providers to perform the test on there. It is a simple, it's a simple lab test. It takes two tubes of blood. So we're not we're not like vampires pouring tons, tons of blood out of It's a very simple, and it is a test that is very affordable if you're a cash paying patient, or it is covered on the majority of insurances. Great. Awesome. And so if they would like to contact client services, the number is 866-299-8998. I'll give that to you again, 866-299-8998. And if they're in the Houston area, or really... I mean, I'm not sure about Dallas and Austin. Leslie Luttrell is the predictive health specialist for this area, and they can also contact Leslie, and she can help them find a local doctor as well. Absolutely, and I can give her a number. If, if they're in the Houston area, she would be more than happy to take your phone call and direct you to – we have a large number of doctors that are using the test in that area. We could direct them probably to the closest person. If they're a patient, it's probably better that they go online and fill out the form. But if they're a doctor or a doctor's office listening to this, mm -hmm. that would be best for them to contact Leslie, right? That's absolutely correct. But I will say this. When a patient goes online, they are our customer service immediately redirects that patient or contacts customer service to put that patient and the local rep together. So if they wanted to connect with Leslie direct, I do not think it would be a problem. I mean, okay. because typically we'd link a rep up with a patient and try to help them to get the test. Okay, great. But if, if they want Leslie's number, I mean, we can provide that also if you want to. Sure, yeah. Okay, it's 619-599-3047. Again, 619-599-3047. Awesome. Well, Randy, thank you so much for coming on today and explaining this very important test that I feel like everybody should have. Everyone should have this test. I agree. It was an eye-opener for me, for sure. Well, I appreciate your all the opportunity and the time to come on here. And I look forward to maybe in six months, we can get back on and do some discussion around some good reduction in trade numbers here. 
Yeah, absolutely. If I know my wife, I don't think I really have a choice. So we'll, we'll do that. <laughs> I understand. Well, again, I, I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Randy. Have okay. a wonderful day. Have a great day. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Ooh, all right. What'd you think about that? It's our first guest speaker. I know. That was good. It's kind of funny. Wish it wasn't that, about me, but you know. That's funny is what how it is. he mentioned Chick-fil-A. I'm sure you said something to him. I, I, I have it's no a idea. Guess. I have no idea. Randy's very intuitive. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So it looks like we've got some homework to do and we'll get your tests redone. I would say to all the guys and gals out there, just because you look and feel good doesn't mean that the things going on inside of you are good because this was definitely an eye opener and it was a shock. I was a little, little thrown back, but now, you know, challenge accepted. I'm ready to kind of figure out what I need to do and where I need to go and look forward to six months reducing this thing. Yeah. And again, if you're in the Houston area, then and you have your doctor that you go to, call them and ask them if they do the pulse cardiac test. And if they don't, give them Leslie's information. She's amazing. She's just a wonderful representative for the company. She will get your doctor set up. So give her a call and we'll make sure you have that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Thanks so much. Bye. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of According to the Castles with Amy and Trey. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. To stay up to date with the castles, follow Amy on Instagram at acastles. Until next time, have faith, enjoy life, and love abundantly. What was the first thing that your mom would ask you before you'd go to bed at night? Did you brush your teeth? I don't know about you, but my mom always asked that. Since I was a kid, healthy gums and teeth have always been important to me. But after a lot of research, I figured out that there's actually a lot of junk in the commercial toothpaste. Everything from SLS to artificial flavors and colors, sweeteners even. And I didn't like the way that they didn't actually get my teeth super clean. I felt like they weren't really actually supporting good overall oral health. Well, I'm so excited to tell you about a product that I created in 2016. Sparkle Dust is a non-toxic, chemical-free tooth cleansing powder that instantly brightens and strengthens and remineralizes your teeth and your gums. It will leave your teeth feeling like never before. They will feel cleaner, smoother, and brighter. You will feel like you just left the dentist. I love that feeling. Sparkle Dust is made from nine different organic earth-sourced ingredients, including minerals and clays. It's a natural solution proven to get you the smile that you've always dreamed of. Learn more about Sparkle Dust by visiting my website at www.mysparkledust.com.